Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is supported by Chimney Fire Coffee. Chimney Coffee. Supporting ethical and eco-friendly practices. Chimney. All the way from farm to cup. Fire coffee. They source their beans from El Salvador, Ethiopia, Peru and Brazil. Then they roast them in the Surrey Hills. In the nice bit between Guildford and Dorking. Chimney. They work directly with farmers. Fire coffee. And they share their stories. Chimney. Their packaging is fully compostable. Fire coffee. Listeners to Three in a Bar can get 20% off their first coffee order. Simply head to chimneyfirecoffee.com and use the code Three in a Bar at checkout. This is Three in a Bar, a podcast where we are joined by a different musician every episode. I'm Seb Philpott. And I'm Verity Simmons. I play the trumpet. And I play the cello. Our guests could be from any part of the music world. We've spoken to pop stars, composers, orchestral musicians, singers, musical theatre performers and lots more. We chat about their careers, ambitions and get a glimpse into what makes each musician unique. Shall we sing the song? Oh, don't make me sing the song. Three, three in a bar. Hey, I tell you what, auto-tune is a wonderful thing. Three, three in a bar. Come on, Seb. First round's on me. It's a bit different, isn't it? This is different. Yeah. Heck is happening. Wow, well, let's give a bit of background, shall we? We are in the O2. In fact, we are in all bar one at the O2. At the, at the O2 Millennium Dome in Millennium North Greenwich. Dome. The yes. North Greenwich Arena, as it was yeah. called at the Olympics. That's right. That's right. Uh, home to but, the gymnastics, then. Not tonight, though. No. no. There will be no gymnastics. There might be. Well, you don't I know. Do you some. don't know what the show's going to be like. No. Uh, we're here at the O2 to see the war on drugs. <gasps> yep, that's right. Our old mate, John Natchez. John Natchez in is in the band and uh, he's playing. Uh, unfortunately, they're in a bubble, strict bubble. I mean, you say unfortunately. Unfortunately for us, perhaps fortunately for him. Yeah, it's an easy get out for him. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, sorry, we're, we're in, the, in the bubble. Can't, can't possibly see. John, yeah. if you're listening, uh, we're, 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 <laughs> we don't mind. It's fine. Yes, we understand. I we mean, understand. I really understand. This is we, a... we don't want to sabotage 
your your gig. Uh, it's already been proved that, that Ferris's birthday party last last week was a super spreader oh. event. Yeah, and also it stopped us going to New York. So yeah. so I'm sorry for everyone who got it, but actually I'm really sorry for me. And because we yeah. should be in New York. Oh no, we'd be back today. Yeah, you would have been got back it. today. Absolutely got it. Um, well, that's that's a quick summary of Ferris's life so far. <laughs> yes. um, well, welcome, listeners. This is our episode with Sam O'Kell. The brilliant Sam O'Kell. Oh, this was an amazing episode. I yeah. really enjoyed I edited it all last night and thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah. well, let's say who he is. Well, okay. Ferris has got a biography right in front of her. <laughs> Between us, we've got three phones on the go at the yeah. moment. Um, I'm just going to read from my burner phone. Um, so Sam O'Kell, senior engineer at Abbey Road Studios. Um, from an early age, I'm reading from his bio. This is off the cuff. From an early age, Sam played drums, piano, guitar, and percussion in bands and orchestras. And was always the technical. Even then, even always the technical. Always. It says that, but he was always the technical. Uh, what, what, what even website then. are you reading this from? <laughs> this is the Abbey Road website. <laughs> Um, he went to Wales Cathedral School and then he did the prestigious Tom Heister degree course at the University of Surrey. Yeah. While he was there, he got a placement at Abbey Road and he made such a good impression that he was taken on full time after graduating in 2002. Um, I'm going to skip through this. There's some lovely stuff, but I'll let you read that if you'd like to. Um, let me read it. Yeah, go on. There you go. Oh, all right. Thanks. Yeah. Sam has won multiple Grammys and an Emmy for his work as a recording engineer and mixer and is in demand for both music and film projects. He's been involved in mixing and remastering projects for The Beatles, Graham Coxon, One Direction, James Bay, PJ Harvey and Laura Marling, as well as mixing and recording for huge Hollywood blockbusters and TV shows including The Man from UNCLE, King Arthur, All the Money in the World, The Hobbit, Maps to the Stars, and Spotlight, and Zero Dark Thirty. Okay. And there's more. Gravity. Oh, there's loads more. He's done so much stuff. I mean, notably, he, he has worked with uh, Giles Martin, the son of George Martin, to remaster a load of Beatles stuff from Sgt. Pepper's onwards. Uh, he's worked a lot with Daniel Pemberton. We spend a lot of time talking about the Beatles. Yeah, we did. And because he's fascinating about... I mean, he is the go-to man about all things Beatles, actually, he is, isn't he? He is. I mean, he, him and Giles, I mean, they, they have... They have been so immersed in, in all things Beatles. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Giles has for probably all his life. But, yeah, <laughs> but, but um, you know, the last few years, last five years or so. Um, so we took the opportunity, asked him lots of questions, particularly about the brilliant new documentary, Get Back, and Beatles reissues Let It Be album that came out at the end of last year. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Verity, tell us how we got in touch with Sam. Well, now, I was at school with Sam oh. um, 24 years ago. 24 years ago. 24. And I don't think I've seen him since then. So what a lovely catch-up. I mean, it felt like yesterday. It did. It, it felt like you guys were in touch all the time. Oh, you really had a chemistry. He's just the easiest person in the world to chat to, isn't he? Yeah. So he's very nice. nice. He's a very funny man. He's really funny. He's got some great stories. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit sad that we got so sidetracked by the Beatles that we didn't get to chat about, you know, One Direction or... I know, yeah, we didn't no, even what? talk about that. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, we, we go. spoke to him online. We had no issues this time, technically. No, amazing. It all went swimmingly. 
he was talking to us from his studio in Cornwall. Yeah. Sounds lovely down there. Really does. Do you know what? I think we should get into yes. this conversation. All right. Okay. Let's this is our chat with Sam O'Kell. Oh, it's been a long time, Sam. <laughs> it's been a very long time, like 20 something years. 24 years, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Well, you don't look a day older. <laughs> same, same to you. Thanks, same to you. Thanks. I've got more facial hair. You haven't. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Uh, nice to meet you. Hello, Sam. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Yeah. Can you hear me all right? I can. Yeah. I've followed your recommendation and uh, got a professional standard microphone here. Oh, excellent. <laughs> what, what, what are you rocking? It's a uh, Neumann KM184. Oh, lovely stuff. <laughs> I feel really ashamed. I'm hoping that you've just got a blo- very blurry picture of me because my mic setup is is probably highly dubious. And I feel like, you know. You're yeah. going for the side approach. I, there, I, yeah. I, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about the side approach? We're never quite sure what we're meant to be doing. Well, you're not going to get the nice warmth, the low end rich of that's your true. voice when you're off to the side. You're going to get a sort of weird. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Right, come on, Verity. Let's let's follow okay, his right, advice. Let's get it right to. in come there. On. I'm going to turn this around. Right, we need that right proximity now. effect. You pretend you're doing an advert, a voiceover for an advert. Yeah. Oh dear, I've really messed this up now. <laughs> That's even worse. And my, what do you think of my? Pop I don't think sock? you need that little. I don't um, think I need t- it. Pair of tights no. you've got in front of it. <laughs> I've rigged up. Oh, let's face it. It's, it's going to be shambolic, whatever I do now, isn't it? So. <laughs> If if it's on, that's something. That'll do. <laughs> Sam, where that's are good. you currently? Are you down in Cornwall? I'm in Cornwall, yeah. Ah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I live now. Yeah. Um, and this is a nifty studio setup you've got down there. So you, can you work from home a fair bit or how does that work? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's a sort of a studio I set up a few years ago and didn't finish, as you can sort of see. It's not, it's not, I haven't covered the acoustic treatment, which is what you're supposed to do. But um, so, yeah, I've been working down here and I guess the whole, you know, lockdown thing encouraged more working from home stuff. And then um, I've taken the leap and I've got my hands on a, a, what, a Methodist chapel. So I'm going to set up a kind of a proper set up a proper thing down here oh that's really exciting that's so yeah, cool yeah so what was that a whole studio really with, with a, a control room and a, a live room and all that yeah yeah so mainly like a mixed space because most of what i do down here is mixing um but it's going to have a little live space and room for people to come and stay and all that kind of stuff so and you oh, can see wow. the sea it's oh, yeah it's nice whereabouts is it it's in a little village called zena i know zena um, oh of course, you lo- do. of course i do it's my old well it's not there isn't my old home but yeah oh lovely where, where is it you grew up verity oh near liscard um not the nice bit yeah. Um, do you know, actually, I lived at first of all on the moors in a town called Crow's Nest, a village called Crow's Nest. Do you know that place? I don't know. No. no. <laughs> so recent that you should, really. <laughs> My parents are in St. Dominic now, which is lovely. Very nice. Yeah. Did Beautiful. You, are you, you're not from Cornwall originally, though, Sam, are you? Or... No, Somerset. Yeah. Somerset, Somerset I grew up. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Nice. Well, good transition ah. down there. <laughs> well, that's where you met, right? In Somerset? Yeah. You too. Yeah, well, school together. Wells Cathedral School. <laughs> Lovely. And were you, um, so you must have been doing a lot of, were you doing lots of sound engineering at school? I think this passed me by completely because you were there 
as a percussionist, right? Or... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I guess I'd always been interested in you know recording things and. Yeah. I was in lots of bands and I was always the one doing the PA system and all that kind of stuff. So that's what sparked it. But yeah, coming to Wales, doing percussion was great. And I loved doing all the music, but I kind of, I think I knew that I wasn't cut out to be a, you know, to be a full-time professional musician. You know, there's so many amazing people there. And I was like, shit, I'm not this good. (laughs) I've got to find another way in this business. (laughs) And did you, were there lots of facilities for you to be recording when you were there? Were you doing a lot of, you know? Did... Well, it's a bit weird because they had a music technology A-level. Yeah. Because I, was, I wasn't doing that. I sort of wasn't part of that. So they had a nice little studio. I don't know if you remember in that bit upstairs. Yeah. And I did a few bits and pieces, but because you weren't like doing your classes in that, I was sort of a bit away from that. But we used to get a little four-track recorder and go in. Do you remember that tiny little woodshed they had in the corner of, um, like, way off in the back behind the music school? We used to go in there with bands and, like, record bits and pieces in there. So that was my kind of DIY approach to it. So, yeah, no, I, I think it's yeah, I think it's it's a great place to do that stuff and so much. But then I went on. So I got, I got a place on this course called the Tom Meister course, which is like a music degree, but it's got brilliant um stuff all around the sound recording all the you know you learn the maths and the physics and the acoustics of all that kind of stuff and they also get you into the industry i guess that's the most important thing about it you know you learn yeah. all the stuff but so, so many people do a degree or whatever and come out of it going that's great but where's you know where do i go with this what do i do yeah yeah absolutely so they they got you into abbey road right i think i read that you, you they they give you a sort of work placement is that right yeah totally so everyone does like a one-year internship in the middle of the degree so that that got me into abbey road as a well they used to have a classical editing department then that seems very old school now but so so i got in as an intern in the classical editing department and you know they were recording well all kinds of stuff but um so i got my hands on anything from like string quartets to operas and sort of got my way in that way and then I was like this is great but I want to sort of be an engineer in the studio so they let me be a runner and and make the tea and you know you kind of you work your way up it's a proper it's a proper um like old school apprenticeship I suppose oh that's really good and so did you get to go in and see some when you were first going in there and you were trying to sort of get over into sound engineering did you go in and get to witness some really amazing sessions happening at you know at that early stage yeah i mean it's it's totally mind-blowing when you're young and you've got no idea about it and one of the first things i saw was um james horner was recording the score for um this film called enemy enemy at the gates i think it was called um and yeah just to see like a full symphony orchestra set up in studio one there and them all doing their thing i was yeah i was totally blown away and captivated by it so Yeah. yeah got the got the bug kind of from day one God, your your life and career must have changed dramatically. I mean, I know it has for everyone, but in terms of recording process and being in the studio, how was it? I mean, that's a very wide question. <laughs> how how easy was it to to adapt and change? Like you mean over over COVID or yeah. over? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it was. Well, the Musicians' Union were brilliant, actually, and they worked with the studios sort of really quickly and said, we need to put some stuff in place to do this. What do we do? So it was probably only a 
couple of months and we were back in the studio doing things with socially distanced lineups. Um, and yeah, so they were brilliant at getting all that in place, saying, well, you can't have 80 people crammed into a studio, but you can have 30 and they've got to be two meters apart. And, you know, if you're not a wind play, you don't have to wear, you know, if you should wear masks and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was kind of, it was weird, but actually things didn't stop in my world for that, for that long. Um, it just meant it kind of takes twice as long to do anything because, you can't, um, you can't, you know, you can't get, you want to get a full lineup together. You can't, so you record the strings separate from the wind, separate from the brass. And like choirs, I mean, I recorded choirs with everyone in their own little boxes. That was pretty weird. That's mad. <laughs> Must oh. be awful for the singers. Yeah, how did it yeah. work? <laughs> did they, was it okay? Could they make that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's kind of in tune, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I don't know. I guess you just you just make you guess do what you can, can't you? And the other thing is like the poor studio staff had to clean everything every day. So every microphone, every cable, every set of headphones, it had to like disinfect the whole place every day. So yes, wow, you'd, you'd have to stop at five o'clock every day so they could spend three hours swabbing it all down oh, for the next God. day. So nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants to go back to that. I don't think. No. 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 Well, is there a sort of technical challenge when you have to record, uh, instead of like when you might have had 80 people in the room recording at the same time, if you uh, record lots of different sections and you're recording the same, like I was trying to describe the severity as, as this is my <laughs> yeah. question. I, was to, I know, I'm quite say, looking forward to how this is You're recording is like out. the brass, right? But also with those mics, you're also recording loads of like nothing as well, right? Loads of room <laughs> sound or just loads of chairs. So yeah. you've got all those chairs stacked on top of each other, not actually stacked on top of each other. Audio-wise, does that create a challenge because you've got loads of like room tone or something recorded like 10 different times? Do you have to, does that make, is that at all a, a question. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, that a question. It's totally a question. Yeah, let me try and please um, decide what I'm trying to say. Um, Shall I try and say it again? I no, I, I know no. what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're very used to recording things separately because, yes. like, especially in film sessions, they want to have control, total control over every element. So, um, the, like the best way of doing that always is getting everyone in the room together, you know, say a full orchestral lineup and everyone playing it a few times, rehearsing it, getting that kind of intonation locked in, you know how it's going to work, the phrasing. And then at that point you go, right, well, let's record the strings, let's record the woodwind, let's record the brass separately so we can, you know, do what we need in the mix. Or when the director says, I hate that trumpet solo, you know, you can get, you can get rid of that in the, in the film mix kind of process. So mm. we're very used to doing that. Yeah, but, yeah. What's hard is when you're never in the room together. I think, and I'm sure you guys as musicians are totally aware of that. When the strings have been recorded a week before, and you come in as a as a brass section, say, and you can hear it down one crappy headphone, and you know, it's like, how do we how do we make this fit together? So it tends to be a lot slower process, and yeah, maybe the end results aren't quite as like amazing as they would be if you're all there performing together. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I guess, yeah, because you always do that. They, they record the stems after you've done a few a few takes and uh, sit around while everyone does their bits. Yeah. But um, I guess but it, it, in the end, it sounds basically the same, does it? And then you've actually got more control and you can always go back to the, the first take you did with everyone if you want. 
Yeah, if that's yeah, that's better. true. And I think maybe a little bit of this, you know, people saying you have to record in a certain way, spacing people out and stuff has made you realise there's, there's quite a lot of variation in what you can do, really. So mm. I tend to get very uptight about, oh, they've got to go down this microphone. Ooh, yeah, oh, yeah, just yeah. Like yeah. That. And it's like, <laughs> does it really matter at the end of the day? Not as much <laughs> as you think. Uh, so, so people being two metres apart or three metres apart at times, does that sound very different to before when people were a bit closer together? It does sound a bit different, but I think the greatest effect is on the musicians really and how 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 you play, how you hear other people, you know, how you play as an ensemble when there's greater distance between you. I think that's that's the main thing. Yeah. And have you found that some of those things that you were kind of were enforced on you at that time, that any of those things you'll now keep because they've worked better or has it changed the way now that everyone's back in the room? that you do things i think yeah actually spacing people out a bit like this depends on very much depends on the tempo of the music if you've got fast rhythmic stuff then i tend to find having everyone bunched as close together is better but when you've got slow stuff actually maybe people being spread out over a whole studio is like a better way to go so yeah maybe you'll find more um when people are recording that kind of stuff, they're like, you, you go in that corner and you go up on the balcony there <laughs> yeah. and uh, that's, oh, that's really nice. So when you were talking about directors and coming in and, you know, sort of giving direction on what they want and being quite particular about things, how how much do you like that? Do you prefer people to be very hands-on and clear about what they want or is it better for you when you're given a bit more space to kind of get on with it? Well, film's definitely a collaborative kind of medium and I think, sorry there's no door it's the flipping cat again she features in most episodes it's ridiculous we've taken it's it's matilda Matilda. (laughs) there she is i'm gonna i'm gonna throw her to the side now there we go (laughs) sorry about that (laughs) Uh, what was the question (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, why are they so yeah <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I do you prefer people directors to be more hands on, or and to give very clear direction about they, what they want, or do you prefer having a bit more freedom? Like you were yeah. saying on film sessions in particular. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the key thing. Like how a director and a composer kind of get on or don't get on or have yeah. a creative vision totally dictates the like the mood and the the way a whole thing can kind of work so yeah god uh, there's the some wo- we- sorry i was gonna say there's some weeks you go in and think oh no <laughs> you don't, you don't so- want to get these people in a room together it's going to be painful <laughs> yeah but actually you know, most of the time when it's like a director with a creative vision who can explain what they want and they don't have to have musical language i think that's really important like a good composer the director can talk about the emotion or a character or what's happening to them a good composer translate that right into what we should be doing but um what's really hard is when you know you get this lot of time with tv shows now there's not one opinion there's eight opinions yeah and all these executives kind of like to chip in with their opinions on things which are often totally conflicting and um and then you're just left with well where do we go with this so The game of that is working out who's actually top dog out of these pile of people, whose opinion really counts, (laughs) and then just listen to them and do what they want. Yeah. That tends to be the way it works. Oh, God. Uh, Who's that just coming in your room? And that's Theo. That's a child I've got. Yeah, they're all... It's because there he is. There's no... uh, 
Yeah, you're right. There's no doors. Oh, he's coming to get some check out of the drawer. There's no doors. This is the problem because they've just <laughs> no been doors taken. In your house. <laughs> no, no, we're very free. All right, okay. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, the problem is they've just all been taken off to go and be dipped. But so everyone thinks that they hey, can the go children. anywhere whenever they want. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is your room. Sorry. <laughs> it is also his bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're quite right, Theo. <laughs> oh, sorry, Seb. You were about to say something very interesting oh. then, and I, yeah, about I children. Can't what I was going to no. ask? Um, um, no, I've forgotten. Directors' films. Yeah, it's an interesting world, and yeah, you, when you feel like you're doing what somebody wants and what the film wants, it's it's brilliant. Um, and some days it can feel like you know you're just doing a uh, hundred compromises to try and do what everyone wants but it ends up being some frankenstein thing that's pulled apart and has no you know has no sort of integrity to it or i guess that can happen on a bigger scale as well because on a film you get so involved in the kind of micro scale of what's this scene or what's this tiny little corner doing and how are we making that work musically and then you know you work on that for weeks or months and then you sort of step back and watch the thing as a whole and you're like this doesn't hang together at all or Mm. we've used this theme like every two minutes through an hour and a half film and it's really boring and repetitive so (laughs) um, yeah yeah so when do you tend to get brought on on a film is it quite early or do you already have you know relationships with composers so that they tend to always ask you to be their their sort of mix engineer yeah that tends to be the way it works now i've got a few sort of kind of people that i work with all the time and sort of do all their projects so that's good but i mean i guess the brilliant thing about being somewhere like abbey road and starting out and assisting and meeting all the composers and engineers and producers and all those people is you make you make the relationships and then sometimes they're looking what tends to happen is when somebody's too busy and they can't do a project they sort of pass it on to the next people you know the kind of i suppose the depth of the engineering world so that's the secret to get your foot in somewhere and get get a gig with someone uh, be really enthusiastic and good and um then hopefully they'll ask you again next time not the old has been who um you know <laughs> too busy anyway <laughs> yeah i had that work really well for me actually on um old has been i shouldn't have used that description but, yeah um, that's gonna stick now it's <laughs> a, a really brilliant engineer who i worked with a lot and assisted and and he got quite ill before this first hobbit movie which he was supposed to be mixing so i sort of stepped in to do that um right at the last minute and I guess did an all right job and then out of that the composer howard shaw who'd done lots of things and i then did a string of projects with him on the on the back of that um so it was just one of those chance chance things that you kind of like can really totally affect your career in, yeah in I a good I, way yeah and then peter jackson of course as well so you would have been working on that and then so did it really is that how the well i mean i know you've been working on beatles stuff for years and years and we want to ask you a whole lot about that but with get back um did that come through the Peter Jackson connection there? Um, not really for me. I mean, that was more that I'm sort of involved in the whole Beatles world and have been remixing stuff for quite a while in that world. So that kind of came about. I guess Peter did that documentary about the First World War where he colorized all that footage oh, yeah. and 
um, yeah. which That's was really brilliant. Man. Yeah. And so, somehow out of that came the idea of getting Peter to do uh, Get Back and look at all that stuff because that film's, I mean, I don't know if any either of you watched it in its original yeah. state, but oh, it's no. quite, a, no, what, <laughs> it's a totally <laughs> different thing. It's like, it's so, it's a really badly put together doc, documentary the first thing because they shot like a month's worth of sessions and none of it's in sync and it's all very badly edited and it's just it's not a very watchable thing so everyone's been down on that for 50 years and then the idea of coming back to it it seems like a no-brainer in in retrospect because it's like it's like a documentary right it's just a month's worth of fly on the what you call it fly on the wall you know, you can see what they're yeah. doing for a month. Yeah. A band, the creative process, supposedly, write an album, record an album, have some arguments. Are we going to do a gig on a cruise ship? Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that thing. bit. <laughs> so, had, you, had you seen much more? Had you seen the original documentary before that point? I'd seen the original documentary and I'd trans... All the original tapes were on these tiny Nagra quarter-inch little tapes that they recorded the sound on and i'd actually transferred all of those in real time about 10 years previously so i'd, I'd heard like every minute of it oh wow and when peter jackson said well i don't think i should do one episode i think it should be three episodes i think it should be seven hours we were all like what a terrible idea you know that'll be so boring <laughs> who, who could possibly interested in seven hours of the beatles like trying to play this song and getting it wrong and <laughs> yeah so yeah we thought it was going to be a disaster but then being the kind of filmmaking genius that he is he put it together in a, a beautiful way and you and you saw this you saw this kind of amazing um like being there with them of 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 that creative process really i suppose that's what it is right you get to really yeah. see how they work over a long period of time yeah yeah it's fascinating and there's something that that peter jackson's done to the quality of the image that it, it really makes it seem like it's sort of just happening now i don't know what it is what he's done some sort of magic similar to how he did with um that film they shall not grow old that that's it suddenly doesn't look like an old film it looks like it's right there um so, so now I you know watching them you sort of really feel like they're your friends like and you can relate to everything they're going through you know what it's like to to sit in a studio waiting for a band member to turn up because they're, they've gone to get a sandwich or something. They're just, or they're a bit hungover or someone farts. Yeah. It's just, you've been there. Um, and then, you know, even remember when, when uh, Paul McCartney was sort of, he'd said he's he's playing Glastonbury this year. In my mind, I'm like, oh, I wonder which which one we're going to get. We might get the 27-year-old the Paul McCartney. <laughs> like, he exists still, right? Like that. <laughs> yeah. I just believe he's they're there i mean you've been immersed in beatles music for so long but did you feel watching it that as a documentary that you sort of got to a whole new level of of understanding them as, as people i think i've had the privilege of seeing well not so much seeing but certainly hearing that process lots of times so yeah you know, i've been through most of the tapes from the studio and it evolves i mean that's that's the greatest thing about it, is like how quickly they evolved so coming into the studio as a bunch of 20 year olds and having their kind of live set and literally i mean please please me they first album they they basically recorded in a day 
you know, they just set up yeah. and, and played like they were playing on stage. And then it, only a couple of years later, they're then in the studio doing kind of Sergeant Pepper and that's that's come into the studio and right this is the creative process let's write some songs let's routine some songs let's work out how it's going to go and, and record them so all of that stuff is down on tape you know sometimes 40 50 60 takes of a song where they're just thrashing it out like you see and get back like yeah i always thought the amazing thing about seeing and hearing that is how it's like really quite shit for quite a long time <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. you see that you get back they're like banging away at this song you're like this is awful yeah. <laughs> well, there's nothing in this surely we should give up um yeah. and then it goes on to become you know some iconic song that still stands the test of time 50 years later so there's a lot to be taken out of that when you're thinking about the creative process and songwriting and being in a band and and how you how you record stuff in the studio so I was always blown away seeing that, how it would would evolve in the studio and then suddenly kind of click and I go, oh yeah, that's the take. And then get into the kind of overdubbing of it. And every time it's like, what's the most creative way we can think about um, adding to this? You know, what's the different instrumentation we can use or not just repeat the formula of what was good, what was successful before. Let's yeah, let's just do that again, right? You are listening to Three in a Bar. We talk to musicians about their lives. If you like this show, you can give us five stars on iTunes or a cast or other things like that. When you come to remix an album like we've been doing for the 50th anniversary, so Sergeant Pepper was the first um one we sort of completely remixed from the ground up and you think well what are you trying to do here are you trying to change something that's well loved and and totally brilliant or and how you how are you changing it so every yeah every little decision we make we kind of try and weigh up you know what you're doing and why so it tends to be quite a long process of you kind of copy you get it sounding exactly as the original thing sounded and you go okay well well, an obvious thing with the early Beatles stuff is all the vocals are on one side. You're like, well, that's probably not how we'd listen to music now. Let's well, let's put the vocals in the centre. That's the more obvious thing to do now. Oh, well, what does that do? The rest of the instruments. Let's you know, let's move them around. So, all that kind of stuff. And then you come back to it and go, well, have we come too far away from the original, or has it just has it got the same intention as as the thing we love that just hopefully is a more pleasing kind of listening experience in yeah. like in our in our modern to our modern ear right yeah and uh, have the fans been generally uh, positive about what you've done i mean i i hope you haven't had any death threat threats you know, but, <laughs> sorry, he's, in, you his, he's in his bunker in cornwall i think that tells you everything you need to know <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't, can't get, get me, me down here top secret location yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i think i think there's a mix there's a mix of a opinions i uh, i think some people would definitely take the opinion though why would you ever touch this you know that's sacrilege why fiddle with it which you know i totally understand that but i think we've probably got enough people that appreciate what we've done just that just that simple ideal of not wanting to change it just hopefully make it a bit of a better listening experience so they can still listen to the original I mean, if they can get a copy, but I think you can. The original is on on Spotify and everything, probably. Yeah, they've always said that they're not gonna. They're not gonna. Um, they're not gonna George Lucas it. <laughs> they're not gonna erase them. And, I, and the weird thing with the Beatles as well. A lot of music in the '60s is for most of the '60s, the main format was mono, 
Um, yeah. And that's people buying mono records and, and playing them. There were, you know, there were stereo players and they released stereo versions of the albums. So for most of the Beatles' career, they'd like they'd care about the mono mix and all the band would be in the studio and they'd all be on the faders and they'd do the mono mix till they're all really happy with it. And then the stereo mix um, would just be kind of an afterthought. It'd be like, oh, pan that over there, pan that over there, try and recreate the mix. And then, so that's now become sort of the version that's well known because most people like to listen in stereo these days. But they're not actually the kind of truest representation of what the band were trying to do at the time. So a lot of kind of aficionados love the mono mixes. And again, we've sort of tried to do that. So Sergeant Pepper and the White Album and um, all that stuff, we sort of referenced the, the mono mix more than the stereo mix and tried to get it sounding like that. But mono, but stereo. Yeah. <laughs> but did it change over the course of their career? Because things like... That that hidden track at the end of Sergeant Pepper's that doesn't that kind of pan from left to right? There's something, and then maybe like Revolution Number no. Nine. There's all kind of stereo stuff going on in that. Would that have been mono though originally? Well, they were like most of their career, they were working on four track tape. So it was like one inch tape, and it had four tracks on it. So once they were getting into their kind of middle experimental period, they'd they'd like be working on Sergeant Pepper. They'd fill up one one four track tape and then they'd bounce that off onto a second tape machine onto one tape onto one track of that and then they'd have three more tracks to carry on overdubbing stuff so they'd repeat that process like three or four times and then when they come to do the final mix they've got you know they've got four faders that they can they can balance um so they could on the mono mix obviously they'd all be up the center in the same position in the stereo mix they go okay well track one will be left track two will be right track three will be in the middle and track four will be some somewhere in between but what we can do now is because all these tapes have been kept we can go back through the generations and line them all up in the computer so you get access to far more elements than than they kind of had when they were doing their mixes so that's one way in which we can kind of subtly subtly tweak tweak things and you know make the drums a bit more punchy or the spread the stereo vocals or, or oh, that's amazing wow so, so, so i was gonna say so, um were, were you were paul and ringo coming i mean how involved were they in the process when you well for with sergeant pepper for example were they coming in much and I'd like to imagine they, Ringo was sat over Paul's shoulder, just, just quietly the watching kit, just smiling. him. Yeah, just smiling <laughs> calmly. <laughs> I think I think the problem with, I mean, they always have approval, but I think the problem with uh, like so many bands and the Beatles are no exception, actually, is that if if Ringo were sort of giving you mixed notes, it'd pretty obviously be <laughs> turn the drums up. Yeah. <laughs> and if Paul were giving you big notes, it'd normally be turn the bass up or, you know, turn, yeah. my, turn my vocals up. Um, so they're actually quite quite hands off in that respect. Oh. Let us do what we think's right and then have a kind of approval process, which sometimes we get comments. Um, but I've worked with Paul on his solo material, um, remixing and remastering that. And he's he's totally into that, and I guess that's that's the reason is it's him, it's his record. He's you know it's totally in control of it, and there's no he doesn't need to take anyone else's opinion, uh, yeah. Really, so yeah, in that he's like you know totally interested in what you're doing and why, and let's let's get into the mix. So, but with the Beatles, it's a bit more 
<laughs> just get it done and we'll say yes or no. <laughs> yeah. Was there much toing and froing, or were they quite, quite happily, easily, not easily pleased, but you know, were they quite <laughs> very reductive? No, but did you find that they would come back with lots of to and fro? N- not really. I mean, we tend to we only present stuff when we're really happy with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I work with um, Giles Martin, who is he's a producer and engineer in his own right, but he's the son of George Martin, the, the Beatles' original producer. So he's got a brilliant ear and a brilliant overview of, of what we do and sort of I get on with it. So actually it's really just the two of us together kind of going backwards and forwards and arguing amongst ourselves about what we think is right and what's wrong. And it tends to take ages and you tend to go around in circles an awful lot. And then at some point we think, well, this is good. And then we'll play it to, you know, play, yeah. it, play it for approvals. Yeah. And are, are you sick of it at all? <laughs> I mean, there aren't many bands catalogs that you could listen to as much as I have and still like not, not hate them, if I can put yeah. it like that. So I don't go home and listen to the Beatles. So. <laughs> This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, there's certain things we don't do. Like we never, we never tune any vocals or that kind of stuff you could, you could easily get into. And we never edit any timing things that kind of like say well this could be you know now when you're making a record or doing something you go well that's a little bit out let's tighten that up and because those things once you start doing one thing you there's there's no justification in not you know not doing anything and then maybe you've made them sound like Dua Lipa so that's (laughs) definitely just just for a laugh you ever just auto tune it yeah give it it the old (laughs) T-Pain auto tune (laughs) (laughs) do you do do that and then keep those for yourself (laughs) for parties (laughs) exactly the outtakes reel yeah you could make a pretty good outtakes reel of uh, just shit takes Beatles I have got a Beatles swearing compilation actually yeah have you oh yeah Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's a famous one, isn't it? In in Hey Jude, in the middle of that, you That's can hear right. one of them go, "Oh fucking hell!" <laughs> <laughs> and it's on the site. It's on the single. It's on the radio. That's it. You can hear it. Yeah. Is it? Um, God, yeah. I, I mean, it's not, kind of yeah. kind of buried, but it's there. Yeah. It's buried, but you can hear it if you know it's there. Yeah. Did you bring that up in the remastered version? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah turn that up. <laughs> There's a good, I can't remember which track it is. There's a good fart in a track as well. 
Well, <laughs> somebody finishes a vocal and does a really loud fart, but you can't really hear it in the final thing. But uh. <laughs> little gems, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, so with um, "Let It Be," that just got remixed, didn't it? Re- remastered, uh, brought out la- end of last year. But that was sort of, sort of came out just before the documentary "Get Back," which is all the kind of same same songs. It's, it's the same album, wasn't it? So your name's on the credits of the documentary and you worked on the album. So were they kind of hand in hand, those two projects? Because, I mean, watching the documentary, there's times where it will say, this is the mix that's on the album or this is the take that's on the album. Because it's so sort of seamless between them just chatting around and then playing. It doesn't seem like, oh, they're playing, so it sounds a bit more studio-y. It, it kind of all sounds the same. So how does it all sound so seamless? It just... It all, yeah, it all works together. The album, listening to that and watching the documentary, it all kind of is very cohesive. Yeah, they were done over the same time kind of period. But um, so the album was, well, there was a bit of a discussion about it because the album, as you see in the thing, the idea is it was, you know, a band kind of playing live and, and that would be it. And then because they were all a bit disappointed with the results they ended up with it was then given to phil Spector, and there were overdubs done and you know you kind of hear the orchestral and choir stuff that's that ends up on the album um so we did discuss should we do the strip back you know no overdubs kind of version of the album um but giles spoke to paul mccartney about that and he said no you know i think what we're doing is you should you should remix the album as the album came out then with all the overdubs and things so yeah we kind of approached that in the same way we've done the other albums um but with the film yeah it was a totally different thing and we were we so Giles and I mixed all the music for it but in a slightly different way because we were trying to keep that live that live feel to it and you only you only ever hear what you see being played if that makes sense so you know none of the overdubs are included or afterwards if they went back and redid a guitar solo or double tracked the harmonies or i mean there's some truly terrible kind of harmonies in all the takes of let it be they did with john and george sort of (laughs) 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 which all got replaced for the album but um (laughs) so the idea for that was to keep it a bit more raw keep it real as to what you see um and we did mixes of everything, but we sent everything to New Zealand where Peter Jackson's team were working on the, the film mix. So uh, it's it's all his his team and the, the dubbing mixers in New Zealand who really have to be credited with um, that being such a, let's say, kind of seamless. Um, and they actually invented new technology where they built some um, artificial is that the right term no machine learning technology where they can identify sounds you know all this stuff's all bed together on one track and you know when when george is saying something and ringo's playing the drums in the background they want to be able to control that and go let's let's bring the dialogue forward and um and deal with these things so they built their own software to go well this is a drum kit this is a guitar this is george's voice recognize that stuff they just put the whole you know hundreds and hundreds of hours stuff through this machine learning and that was able to split out the split out the tracks for them so yeah amazing technical things they did really that that make it seem just you don't think about that when you watch it but they've they've rebalanced stuff in the same way they've made the picture look amazing Peter's very um, 
sort of humble about that and going, well, it's all there. We just brought out the color or whatever that's there. But they've, they're, they're kind of technical geniuses. So yeah. And there's a whole town of people that Peter Jackson employs in, in, in New Zealand, just thousands of them, and they're all, all brilliant. So it's quite amazing. Like yeah. a hobbit village. <laughs> like hobbit village, it. yeah. <laughs> the, the mix that's on the documentary that when they're – because when they're talking, that's sort of, I guess they've got some sort of mics nearby to pick up their voices. But when they're playing as a band, would that be what Glyn Johns was recording in, in a booth normally? Yeah, there aren't really any multi-track tapes of all that time, whether in the Twickenham film studio. Um, they were just the mono Nagra tapes of all that kind of stuff. So that's where Peter and his team's technology kind of went to work and they were able to rebalance things remix them a bit and you know make things more audible but then when they were moved to the apple studios in savile row there's then a lot more of the multi-track tapes so yeah all that kind of stuff we we mixed yeah we just mixed kind of tens and tens of hours of it and and then it all got put into the film really so have you, um, all the extra footage that hasn't been used, I heard there's there's a lot more, isn't there, obviously, you were saying earlier on. Uh, do you think that'll see the light of day as well, or is it just, is it worth? I think it needs a, is it is worth it an it? extended <laughs> release. <laughs> Does it, yeah. <laughs> well, is there any little hidden gems in there that uh, you'd like to see? <laughs> I think I think you, I, mean, I think you hit all the all the key the key bits you see, and it's not it's not like it's kind of whitewashed. You see them getting annoyed with each other, and you see sort of George going "fuck this, I'm leaving." And yeah, um, let's get Clapton yeah. in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see it all. So I don't know if it needs an extended version, but he's certainly interested in what else he could do in the Beatles world. Um, and I'm yeah. sure there'll be more more projects down the line which he's involved in. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I guess it's sort of come to the end of the of the 50th anniversary um, remixes and everything. I suppose maybe you could do 60th anniversary remixes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Giles? Fancy it? Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've we've already started the next project, so um, yeah, we're oh. sort of. We're sort of cool. going backwards from a midpoint, so ah, it's right. it's oh, now yeah. tackling the things that are harder harder to do in a way, but things have progressed technology wise. So as we've been talking about, so yeah, um, yeah, I think there's there's still new ways to new ways to present this stuff. So yeah, there'll be more Beatles reissues Good. to come. Yeah, oh brilliant! <laughs> I mean, people just bloody love the Beatles <laughs> yeah. after all this time. It's just people love it. They can't yeah. get enough. It's amazing, isn't it? And so many yeah. times past now, you wonder if they'll ever be kind of surpassed in, well, obviously not in 20th century popular music, but you wonder, will there ever be anything that's kind of as big and international as that? Maybe just the way things are, because even the way that you sort of see celebrity and star, you know, that kind of thing has changed so much as well. I wonder, because they were so like untouchable in many ways. It's just things that everyone's so easily accessible now, aren't they? I feel it feels like so. I wonder if that that was just very much of its time, wasn't it? And they've still got that aura, I think, of like untouchability in some ways. That's quite. Yeah. Bizarre. Although saying that, then the documentary makes well. Seb thinks they're his friends now. So well, they. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I do think they're my friends. They are your friends. It's okay. <laughs> they just seem so normal, really. Although yeah. still, they're slightly weird. But but yeah, you can 
you can sort of see yourself. Well, I'm not, I don't mean to be like. I, I mean, like when when Paul sort of finds himself, kind of being the musical director at times, and he's sort of. I think he's sort of annoyed with himself that he he keeps hearing himself talking all the time. I I feel like I I've been in that situation, and I, I'm like I just keep talking. It's always me that gives the notes about things, and <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to musically, but but that that's why I could just relate to it. And I think ah, oh. yeah. and I think they actually they work so well together. They they don't they never seem to raise the, they never shout at each other. They they always talk pretty civilly to each other. And Peter Jackson just just does it so well to. to to edit it so that when like when George gets annoyed and just leaves there's not really a specific thing that really happens it's just that you keep cutting between you know Paul and John just just talking to each other and then George and then you saw oh George isn't very happy and then George just leaves but it's done so well I mean can you imagine the dynamic though you know let's say say you're George Harrison in that situation and you've been you're kind of you're, you're in you're very much in the back seat behind Paul and John in that band. And, you know, he's been in Woodstock. He's been writing with Bob Dylan and doing so many things and such a brilliant songwriter. And you come back to that thing and you're sort of like, yeah, it's like he's the kid, you know, so in a, mm. there's yeah. a little bit of, you know, well, you know, it's not, it's not your band, is it? You know, you know? and he's like, oh, I've got a song. Like, yeah, well, maybe, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> Come on, give the guy a break. He's brilliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well done george we'll try that one tomorrow <laughs> so you feel for him but then again you know and i doubt i doubt they would have been there if it hadn't been for paul being the kind of eager beaver and like come on you know let's, let's, yeah. get, let's yeah. get in there and do something they'll just go well it wouldn't have happened so you realize it takes that balance of personalities to make something and in any creative environment totally Hey Sam, we've um, we've done something a bit different this week and asked our listeners to give questions that they might like to ask you. I'm just finding them right now on my phone. Now that sounds I, scary. I know. Well, I was really scared when I saw things flash up. I thought, oh God, here we go. I feel like we need to see it through now, though. Having said we do it, do you know what? Actually, there's a couple of good questions in here. That's this one. How about this one? Um, What's the juiciest gossip you've picked up through musicians unaware of a hot mic? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. I mean, I couldn't possibly say. (laughs) I mean, don't feel you have to name names, but... (laughs) It's amazing what people do say, isn't it, when they think they're not being listened to. Um, I've had... I've had the classic um, people wearing a radio mic and go to the bathroom. That's oh, quite lovely. embarrassing. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> <laughs> not, you know, doing that. We used to do, um, we used to do a TV show at Abbey Road when there'd be a big sort of film crew in a band and do a few songs and yeah, sort of all the film crew would be standing around with their earpieces in. <laughs> who heard, heard a certain artist uh, go to the bathroom. Oh, no. So that's kind of embarrassing, I suppose. But... It's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, have you, have you picked up any scurrilous gossip, though? You don't have I to mean, say what. It's non-stop scurrilous gossip with musicians, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they must be mostly complaining about something. I mean, if I know musicians, and I do, they're usually complaining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's how many takes of, uh, you know, some... <laughs> tremolo thing they have to do yeah. at triple fortissimo <laughs> yeah. um I, I i don't know yeah 
I don't think I've got any great one-liners I can give you. No, not not if you want to keep your job anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, what else have I got here? Oh, okay. Uh, are there any hidden Beatles artefacts at Abbey Road that people might not know about? Are there? <laughs> yeah, there must be. There used to be a game for a while in in Studio Two, which was the Beatles studio at Abbey Road. There used to be a little coffee table which had a little drawer in it, um, and people, sort of like board assistants on sessions, would make kind of um, try and do good copies of Beatles lyrics, like written down or notes from John to Paul and uh, leave them in this coffee table. <laughs> Sometimes clients would come in and open the drawer and go, oh, my God, I think I've just found it. <laughs> like, wow, that must be priceless. <laughs> no, it's written last week by the board runner. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> you got the Mrs. Mills piano. That's always knocking around the corridors. Yeah, pianos, pianos. Um, I mean, there's lots of stuff which is still existing, um, microphones and gear, uh, pianos. Paul McCartney bought quite a lot of stuff, actually, in the 80s, I think, as a sale. He bought the Mellotron and um, this cool electric electric harpsichord thing. He bought a bunch of that stuff. But yeah, there are still bits and pieces lying around. I did something recently, and they someone asked the question, what happens to sound when you played it and it goes where does it go and someone said it was simon rhodes yeah is he the, is a mixed guy isn't he and he was saying well in theory it's all still here it's all in the ether it never leaves i mean i guess that? it travels very fast but it's also <laughs> in theory it's still around all those sounds that have ever been recorded where does it so, go yeah where does it go yeah. So can you answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's your next question. <laughs> it just, uh, year by year, the walls gradually move in as the layers and layers of sound uh, yeah. get embedded into the walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well done. <laughs> I, think, I, think it, I think it probably converts into a certain smell over time and uh, that's what remains is the the odour of... Uh, the odor of uh, Glenn Miller or whoever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A slight whiff of Georgia, George Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'd be bottling if I was part of the Abbey Road marketing team. Yeah, you totally should. You can have that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and are you so with your Methodist church that you've got a chapel that you've got, are you in the process of doing things like um floors and sounding and stuff like that? Are you that far down the line getting it set up and ready to go? Yeah, I had a three hour meeting yesterday about air conditioning. Oh, in- oh yeah. <laughs> that was fun. That sounds great. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got a great life. Um yeah, yeah. No, I'm yeah, I'm deep in all that at the moment. So it's the first time I've like built because I was at Abbey Road for you know 18 years maybe something like that I've and I've worked in brilliant studios all over the world but mm. um it's the first time I've got this little room which you can see as I, and as I said I didn't finish but the first time I've done anything proper for myself so yeah I'm just in this sort of slightly scary situation of trying to decide what I think is important um what I yeah. can afford to do and and make it a really good place to work but um 
because most of my work down here is mixing that's what i'm focusing on so building a really great mix room as good as as good as anywhere really amazingly for cornwall the internet is really good as well so what? Got that on... can you believe <laughs> it no yeah. i can't that's amazing <laughs> so i've got that on my side and then i've got the beauty bit pinned yeah. down you can see the sea it's near the coast path so yeah. i'm hoping all that's going to come together into a like a nice little setup where people want to come down here and yeah. hopefully not work too hard still go for a walk and go for a pint at the end of the day yeah quite the gurner's wow. head the gurner's head not three miles away there oh you've got <laughs> oh, it yeah lovely. that is a great pub yeah. really good food in the gurner's head yeah let's shout out the gurner's head <laughs> yeah i do maybe they'll sponsor us <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. Good. Yeah. Hey, we could do a live show from the Gurnard's Head. Oh, yeah. That Come would on, be let's do lovely. a summer special. Come yeah. on. I'm, I'm that's a all great in. Idea. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you could do a kind of a roadshow thing, set up in the beer garden, and <laughs> you could invite all kinds of different people to come. It'd be brilliant. You'd get a camper van. It'd be brilliant. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I could... the back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a really old road show, like the Radio <laughs> One road show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan Partridge. To... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember going to see Ocean Colour Scene on the Radio One road yeah. show down at St Ives um, Rugby Club, I think it was. <laughs> it was Did you? Yeah, yeah it's great. Wow, about 1995. Uh, yes. In fact, it was 1995. Nice. Very well done. Very there good. you go. <laughs> I know my 90s guitar bands. Yeah. <laughs> Specialist subjects. <right? laughs> um, the last question that we had on uh, questions was, um, what was Verity like at school? <laughs> <laughs> just, wa- just watch yourself here. Who's that question from? Hannah Lawrence. Thank you, Hannah Lawrence. <laughs> I seem to remember I don't know if this is your recollection of school but I seem to remember it being really quite good fun it was it was good uh, fun it was really good we used to, we used to play some music and well drink a lot of coffee in that place around the corner oh yeah I um, remember you playing White a Shade of Pale at the beginning of every <laughs> lesson with Mr Moxon <laughs> It's lovely. A little theme tune for him. Yeah, there, yeah. it's a little theme tune. <laughs> yeah, I remember it being, yeah, really quite like a lovely and special place to go to school and an amazing group of people and actually really enjoying it. So, yeah, um, yeah I think we had fun. And yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. It was jolly good fun. We spoke to Yeston Davis a while ago as well. So, do you see? Oh. Does he come in? I expect you probably see him a fair bit, don't you? Does he come into the studio? I do. Yeah, I did something with him last year. Um, yeah, on a film. So, yeah, oh. he's a legend. And I, <laughs> I had a very good night out with Yeston in New York a few years back. Oh, I bet you so, did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, I bet he was funny. He was very funny. What we could and couldn't use. It was, that was a little. That's right. We chatted to him. And we were, oh, that's the end. And then we then we chatted for about another hour afterwards yeah. that we couldn't we couldn't include. <laughs> Sadly, Sadly. it's rather Fantastic. like your you picking up scurrilous things on your mics. It was a similar kind of vibe. Yeah, he's a man with great gossip. He really is. <laughs> Three. Three. 
you've just wrapped up a film ses- um, session, haven't you, recently? What were you doing? What was the... Can you say? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not very often I work on anything that my kids are going to be interested in. So um, this is a new DreamWorks animation called Bad Guys. Oh, um, yes. Oh, yeah. Do you know I've the kids? on the side of buses. Yeah. yeah. There's some fun kids' books, which are sort of cartoon books. And there's a snake and a wolf and a piranha and a spider and um you might think they're bad but turns out they're really good guys (laughs) nice twist yeah so i mean they do some bank heists along the way and um (laughs) but uh yeah it's quite fun it's fun so yeah one for the who wrote the the music for that that's a guy called daniel pemberton oh yeah you've worked with him a lot right yeah he's um unbelievably busy composer so probably five or six films a year maybe for the past yeah. handful of years so um wow. yeah he's great so, he's got so much energy isn't he so many yeah great, he, yeah he's yeah he does lots of ideas and absolutely unstoppable <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um yeah no he's brilliant so i've done that and starting a new one with him next month so Oh, great. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, between him and the Beatles, they keep me pretty pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. I like the contrast, though, you know. Bad guys and then the Beatles. Brilliant. Totally. Very mm. good. No, that's a joy. I'm super lucky, really, and the stuff that I do is so varied. You know, I'm working on albums and yeah. I do stuff for TV and, yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all good fun as well, so. Yeah. It's, uh, what if the things... any young wannabe sound engineers out there, it's like, I'd say just do it and do it all, you know? Yeah. 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 What are the things that you really look forward to? You really think, oh, are there ones you see coming up in the diary and you think, yes? I enjoy uh, f- finishing things. <laughs> 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 no, I love it. No, I do. I, no, I do. Film, I guess film stuff is amazing these days because. You know, if you get the right people in the right situation, you you can have amazing resources. Um, you know, a film company will spend the money to, if you need a full orchestra, they'll, they'll pay for that. And in the budgets are so tight in other areas of the music business, people making records for a, a few thousand pounds and things. So to be in that world where if somebody has a creative vision and the, the film's behind it, then, you know, we go, we need we need 26 um bass clarinets and they're like yeah okay well to give it a go it might be good so i yeah. totally love that about working in film um yeah and yeah that's yeah, fun ah uh, it sounds and like- for, you're saying for, for young audio engineers that they want to get into the business i guess it's changed a lot since when you were, were that age sort of leaving school um cause these days you you can do a lot from home and there's such amazing equipment um it's changed a lot and the, the sort of online thing as well there's there's more of that now it's a totally different world yeah there's so much there's so much stuff you can learn and there's you know so many top professionals in across all fields like just giving their thoughts on stuff online so yeah i think if you're young and enthusiastic doing all that is totally totally worthwhile and then the kind of key thing is how do you how do you meet some people and make it into a make it into a world where there are opportunities but i guess what you can do is just be totally like be prepared as much as you can when you get the opportunity so don't don't think you've got to wait for the opportunity to come along it's like write stuff or record stuff or mix stuff or 
if you're interested in music to picture then just do some of that do some of that stuff in your bedroom and then you have to sort of as prepared as you can be because certainly my chances in the business and I think most people would say this when they come along it's a bit of a sink or swim situation so nobody's going to say oh could you do this in six months time it's like can you do this tomorrow and you like and you say yes and you give it a go and um, yeah so that was some rambling attempt at advice yeah. <laughs> that was very good very good advice <laughs> <laughs> So what's, what's going on then? Well, what are you doing? Well, uh, this is a podcast. Is it? Yeah, do you want to be in it? In cheapskates. You were telling me, right, you were getting 300 listeners a month or something like that. And you were, like, getting, I know, and he was getting like sponsors and stuff. And here you are, like, on f***ing mobile phones doing a podcast. Do you want me to do the voiceover? I'll do it if you want. Yeah, OK. Go on, do it. All right, where's my script? the outro. No, 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 no. Where's my script? Freestyle, please. Freestyle? Freestyle? Yeah. Um, come bless, think fast, I think I'm here. My girlfriend had to pinch my hips to see if I exist. Yeah, think not. Wrote a letter to my friend, born again, hooligan, only to be king again. Oh my god, that was amazing! <laughs> that was that was amazing. I was outstanding. Outstanding. That was the, the, the voice of David Gagan. And before that, Rich Ellsworth. Why are you, why are you holding your phone like you're Rick, I'm talking on my phone because they don't let, allow recording equipment into the O2 arena. So we have to do it on our phones. Yeah. I looked it up and everything. They don't let you and take... You're gonna, and you're going to publish this? Yeah, I'm going to record the gig as well and put it online. <laughs> I'm not even recording. I'm just holding mine to my ear. just feel um, like it's a look. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so we're in the pub, basically. This is a pre-worn drug gig. Are you talking gig. to me or are you talking to the phone? Talking to the listener, Rick. All right, all right. Talking to the listener. Are you going to eyeball him for the rest of it, though? Just, I'm going to just say, yeah. Gurner's head yeah. in the summer for a road show. Oh, my sounds God. so good, doesn't it? It sounds perfect. He sounded like he was actually kind of up for it. I feel like he was. He sounded more than... He wasn't just humouring us, was he? Humanist? Humouring us. Humouring us? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I think he really sounded like he was. Yeah. I'm excited for the gig tonight. Me too. Excited so to see excited. John Natchez in action. Yes. Um, we'll see him again, uh, hopefully, sometime in the future. Yeah. Uh, I hope you've been able to hear us. Yeah, me too. I hope I'm not shouting too loudly. I mean, it's, as well. if you've been to the, the O2 before, it's like it's the pub that's just inside on the left. Yeah. And in the, the main big bit. The main right. drag. The main drag. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's lots of shouty men. It's buzzing. I mean, a lot of the shouty men are, are with us. Um, Would you say there's a, yeah. a certain clientele? Can you sit looking? Can you spot? There's a certain clientele. Is yeah. there? Yeah, but what what would you say at the? Well, it's um, I'd say largely Caucasian men in their thirties and forties. Yeah, that's right. There's probably quite a high percentage of shaved heads as well, I'd say. Yeah. I'm not just saying that there's football fans or anything. I'm not. not I'm not saying they're football fans or anything. Oh no, 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 no lovely. <laughs> no. Well, look, we're having a great time. We're, we're here with um, with Rob. Your husband? Yes, he's here. Guess what? It's our wedding anniversary today. And it's your wedding anniversary. 13 years. 13. 13 years. Congratulations. Yeah. Should, we, should we speak to Rob? Yeah, shall we? 
Rob. Yes. <laughs> I'm just leaning in really in a system. I'm just saying it's our 13-year wedding anniversary well, I'm going I'm to pass my mic to Rob. Say something. Hello. Hello. Am I yeah. just talking to you? <laughs> yeah, you are. Okay. Especially just on a phone. Happy anniversary, Rachel. How are you feeling after 13 years, Rob? Tired. Tired. Worn Still out. looking youthful. And... I just don't have the energy to move on. <laughs> That's really charming. <laughs> Tell you what, I give the phone I back. always say bad things in this podcast, but I don't I mean it. I know you do. And Happy last time you felt, thank you, Rob. Yeah. Last time you were very remorseful about it, Yeah, I was, you? yeah. Okay, so just remember that now. Okay. Well, what a lovely way to be spending it. Isn't it? At the O2. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, Can I'm going to pass, pass you back now? over because I feel like we're drying up okay, here. Bye. I mean, it's been 30 minutes. Are, don't lose that. <laughs> How did that go? Okay. It didn't go so well. Um, Rick Ellsworth is here. Hello. You might have heard him already, if I, unless I edited it out. Um, I think you should edit it out. Can you say again? I think you should edit it out. Okay. Rick's a great drummer. He has refused to come on the podcast. Uh, Until your new studio's up. Oh, okay, yeah. So well, two years, yeah? Two years' time, yeah. Uh, Dan West's here. He's been on the podcast before. Has he? Oh, hi, yeah. Sell, sell. Everyone's sell. Bitcoin sound. He's taking the mickey out of me because uh, we're holding our phones to our faces. Um, and and Seabass is here, David Gagan. I'm not here. Oh, he's, he's not I'm here. I'm a figment of your, your imagination. I thought, I thought so. I thought so. Well, if any of this has made the cut, then apologise. I think it's going to be the shortest intro outro in history. <laughs> One word. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's been a uh, great, great episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Punctuated with <laughs> nuisance and. I think from, from now on, we'll just do it, just me and you. I think it, it works better yeah, that way. It's flawless. Um, but listen, if you feel sorry for us because we've had to record on phones in this slightly haphazard way, what you could do is join our Patreon. Ooh. And that way, we'll be able to afford to record in a... We could have our own O2 arena <laughs> with no one we in could. it. We could, yeah. Just hire it when we needed it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you'd like to join, please do. It's very cheap. Yeah, please get... Something like, something like that. that. Click on the link. Yeah. And um, also, this episode is supported by Chimney oh. Fire Coffee. Hey. Oh, they make some good coffee. Don't they just? You can get 20% off your first bag of coffee from them if you go to their website, chimneyfirecoffee.com. I think it's com. I think it is too. It will come up automatically yeah. when you start typing. And then at checkout, just type in the words, three in a bar. It's all one word, actually, and it's yeah. all capitals. Yeah. Shout it. There you go. Three in a bar. Three in a bar. That's how you type it. All right. Yeah. That's the end That's of the show. <laughs> Let's go. Bye. Bye. Done. Done. It's in the can. How is it going? Yeah. That's a wrap, guys.